Welcome to The Inside. It's awards season, and Hollywood was abuzz this week. The Academy Awards announced nominated films with plans to stage the April broadcast in the Union train station in downtown Los Angeles, where adequate space is available for COVID standards. Here in the U.S., AMC theaters opened their doors again nationwide. Spotted in the lobbies were directors Christopher Nolan and Eddie Wong, who showed up, greeted ticket buyers, and took selfies with other delighted patrons. The studios have releases ready to go, and initial tracking indicates that Warner Brothers' Godzilla vs. Kong could be the blockbuster monster hit that brings the U.S. box office roaring back. Even with limited seating, hopes are high that Disney's Cruella, Marvel's Black Widow, and Paramount's Top Gun Maverick starring Tom Cruise will all help set the stage for a blockbuster summer. Hollywood's good news has even brightened Wall Street's mood, with entertainment stocks soaring to all-time highs. So the movie industry is beginning to reveal its script for an industry comeback story. And while we are still watching the first act, it reads like an action-adventure thriller with hopefully a happy ending. To get a preview of what's ahead for movies, this week we turn to an insider who's been a visionary voice in the film industry for her entire career. Gretchen McCourt served as Executive Vice President for Cinema Programming at Arclight Cinemas and Pacific Theaters in Los Angeles. Arclight's iconic Sunset Boulevard location in Hollywood is home to screenings, premieres, and A-listers looking for a movie to take in. She also served as national film buyer for AMC Theaters and currently works for the nonprofit organization she co-founded, Women in Entertainment. The group provides a forum for women to share, mentor, and learn in areas of film, television, sports, and journalism. She joins us from Kansas City, where she's visiting family. Welcome, Gretchen McCourt. Thank you, Jim. Also with us is our co-host for this series. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, the world's leader in cinema technology, and he joins us from Brussels, Belgium. Good evening, Wim Byans. Hey, good morning and good evening. Well, we have two incredible uh, participants here with you, Gretchen and Wim. We have someone who is steeped in inside Hollywood experience and in Wim, a global perspective on the cinema and exhibitor business. So tell us, Gretchen, what does a movie deliver to people? We've been away from it for a year. What is that magic that you promise people when they come into your theater lobby? Well, first of all, I don't think there's anything that can duplicate the communal experience of movie going in a theater. We love to see good stories in a lot of different places, but cinema really elevates the film and cinema elevates the experience. And there's just there's just no comparison to how you can experience what the filmmaker intended other than in a movie theater. I think for exhibition right now, um, even before the pandemic, exhibition was making huge strides in the experience. You know, we talk about what, you know, making things easy for the guest. You want the outside experience with the parking to be easy. You want the venue to be lovely. You want the ticketing and concession to be an easy experience. And then obviously a beautiful sight and sound in an uninterrupted theater. And now um, that's even more important. I think that's going to be elevated as a responsibility for the exhibitor with safety and health layered on top of that. 
It's the only place I still put my phone and turned it off. <laughs> yeah, no phones. And at Arclight, we always said the only place you don't get advertising is Arclight and Church. Right. Um, but, you know, just that pure escapism, it's really difficult to get it. Mm-hmm. When your customers are thinking about a social experience, how do they evaluate where to spend their money and what to do with their time when they leave the house? Where does movies rank? Is it, we'll go out to dinner, we'll go to the mall? You know, what the surveys and the, the you know, polling that we did, it was, it was usually second going out to eat. That was done most often. And that could include a, a restaurant or a fast food or a fast casual. And then way, you know, way down the list was, you know, you're spending time at a concert or a museum or a sporting event. I mean, those are, you know, huge, huge price points for people to take on. So, um, you know, going to a sporting event once or twice a year or going to um, a concert once or twice a year versus uh, an average moviegoer of once a month. And then whether it's a restaurant or fast casual, you know, multiple times a week. Gretchen, I'm amazed at how often I go to Arclight, I eat in the dining room before. And I'm not sure I plan on it. It's one of those things that you end up saying, but it's very inviting. the food's good. (laughs) The food's good. You can get whatever you want. And when they take your order, they say, what time is your movie? So that you don't have to worry about missing your movie. They're going to get you out and into it. Wim, is there an experience like this in Europe? You know, we have, it's different, but I think we have cinemas where they are more the, I would call it VIP settings, where you can do the the in-cinema dining, finding, you know, food within the lobbies, of course. So it's a little bit different, but I, I have to say when I when I go to Asia, I probably get the most advanced in-cinema dining and also, you know, with different restaurants in the different lobbies and things like that. Uh, I think in, in Europe, it is, it is less of a trend, I would say, than if I look at Asia as an example. Yeah. At Arclight, there, there wasn't serving in the theater. So I don't know directly because I'm not there anymore, but I would assume that the restaurants, because they're freestanding restaurants in the theater, would follow the the guidelines that the restaurants have to follow as far as spacing and um, occupancy. But there was no serving in the theater, so that isn't that's not an issue with ArcLight. Now, right now, the theaters are allowed twenty five percent seating. Is that a business model that can work, or do you think it's just a transitory thing to let's get this started and we'll see these restrictions probably lighten up. I hope it's the latter. I, you know, I obviously can't speak to anybody's business model, but I do believe it's transitory. And I think as, as every exhibitor, every distributor that I've talked to, they're doing the right thing. They're following the rules and doing the right thing so that it is transitory and we can start increasing those numbers as vaccinations increase and, and the world opens up. Getting the attendance and being able to open the doors is priority number one, right? I do believe that 25% is low. What I hear from the exhibitor community is that 50% is a good number, right? When they get to 50%, they can make the numbers positive. And of course, anything above that is is great. It also inspired, by the way, to be able to do more private cinema settings, renting out the place because with an occupancy of 25%, you got a relatively big screen with a small audience. So that created an opportunity. But I think we look at the the full uh, movie-going journey, and it's important that we are making sure that we get them back in their seats. And I think the governments will decide if it's 25 or 50%, but that's a question of time, right? I think it's just a temporary measure uh, being in place today. So, Gretchen, if we think about coming back to the movies, right, you mentioned something which I picked up, you called frictionless experience, right? And I wanted to understand what is, in your opinion, a frictionless experience for your moviegoer. 
Well, what we like to look at is, you know, everybody has, there's a lot of opportunities on how you spend your out of home time. And movie going is one of those things. And how do we make that experience better? And how do we make it so it it is when someone ends their evening, they're saying, that was such a lovely evening. Everything was so simple or so easy to do from finding your showtimes, getting to the theater, parking. Like we said, health and safety becomes more heightened right now. So you're able to come in with your ticket on your phone. You're able to scan so that you're not, you know, there's, you're not touching and and doing as little interaction as you can. Um, If you want to have a variety of things at the concession stand or or the cafes that some theaters have, you're able to get what you want. And then again, in the theater, finding your seat, not having to come early, not having to worry about things being sold out. And then having a movie on screen that there's no interruptions, the sight and sound are perfect from beginning to end, and you exit after, you know, with a great experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm already looking forward for that one. <laughs> I know, right? It sounds good. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it looks like ages ago. Well, it, it's interesting because both of you mentioned parking, <laughs> right? It's not an experience that starts in the theater, right? It really does start in the afternoon when you're contemplating going to the, the mobile app, the right. website, yep. even booking the tickets, right? Yeah. Right. They all have, everything has to be easy. So let's talk about a trend that started a year ago. It did not come to fruition completely, but it's interesting. A group got together and, and created something called movie pass and it allowed fans to subscribe and get an unlimited number of movies to watch for a a monthly fee. The finances of it did not pan out for the company that organized it. Gretchen, what did MoviePass do that you thought, did you think it was a positive idea? How did you view it? Well, first of all, yeah, I'll, I'll do the positive The positive first, that MoviePass spread out movie going through the week. So if you remember when it when it first launched, you, um, you couldn't use MoviePass for an advanced ticket. So you had to buy it on site day of. So when big movies were coming out, if there were sellouts, you know, it, it spread movie going out during the week, which was which was very positive, especially for theaters that are very busy on the weekends. Um, secondly, it got people to see movies that they might not ordinarily have seen. I think MoviePass has a statistic that 40% of the tickets sold to Lady Bird were MoviePass tickets. So again, that's, you know, that's fantastic for, for theaters that... You have people going during the week, so you're dispersing them around, and you have people trying, you know, trying films. Now, you know, the theaters got a full ticket price, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a discount or anything on our side. But people that normally wouldn't have tried those movies are like, hey, I've paid my movie pass. I, you know, I've already, you know, used my, you know, my normal money. I've seen two movies or whatever the cost was for this month. Now I'm going to try this movie and this movie and this movie because essentially I'm seeing it for free. Um, so that was great. And then the third aspect was because there was a perception that they were seeing these movies for free or a discount, they spent more on food and beverage. So that was that was a benefit to the theater. So I, you know, those those things were were very, very positive with movie pass or and I think with any kind of subscription. Um, and the only negative that I experienced with movie pass early on is it was confusing for the customer 
the theater didn't have anything to do with MoviePass and couldn't control it. So if their card, if there were customer service issues, it got to be a guest dissatisfier, and they would, you know, they would turn to the theater for help, and the theater couldn't help. So that was kind of that was just a bug that needed to be worked out at the beginning. That it, you know, MoviePass was very separate from the theater, but. To my initial point, I love, I think the more movies people see, the more movies they want to see. Well, the the model that MoviePass used is look at Netflix. Absolutely. Right. You pay a fee and you can watch as much as you want to. So do you think when this is all over, we'll see someone step forward with that kind of a a service for moviegoers? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and and the big chains, you know, copied MoviePass's you know, with AMC, you know, with their own loyalty programs after MoviePass launched. So there was, you know, there was that aspect of it. But, oh, absolutely. I think there'll be there'll be a subscription service for for a movie going to come out again. And it makes sense. And, you know, we we've been talking about the, you know, the want to go back to the movies and the need to get out. But the other aspect that we haven't really talked about yet is there are a lot of people hurting economically. And, you know, coming out of this pandemic that don't have a lot of disposable income or are going to be, you know, being very careful getting back on their feet. But yet they want to, you know, we they they also want to get back out and want to experience, you know, have have social experiences and miss going to the movies. So how do we, you know, how do how do we make it viable for those people as well? And I think a subscription model is 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 a great answer. The question is, could you see a place where Amazon or Netflix or Disney get into the theater ownership business? 100%. Really? I absolutely think that that's, that's coming. I think they, they, respect the, they respect the theatrical experience. I think they all want, you know, they, want, they love awards. We know that. And, you know, if the Academy and, you know, they, the Golden Globes go back to the requirements of a theatrical experience, I know they, you know, they kind of put a little asterisk on this year for where the films were released. But if they go back to that, they want those, you know, that award qualification. But I think they also want the, you know, they, they love the theatrical experience. It's a huge marketing tool. There's a lot of, a lot of positive to that. And, and especially for a company like Amazon that has multiple, multiple businesses. So you think that's a? Real... Oh, I think that's a. I think that is a reality that uh, wow, that, that Disney, Amazon, Netflix will own. You know, will own theaters. I mean, Netflix is already. You know, they made sure they bought one in L.A. and one in New York for qualification purposes. Right. Um, and I think we'll see. I think we'll see more of that. All right, you heard the prediction <laughs> here first. That's great. Our insider today is the legendary Gretchen McCourt. We'll be right back. The Insiders is proudly presented by Cineonic. Cineonic's future-ready enhanced service and technology solutions provide compelling cinema experiences, peace of mind, and financial flexibility. Today, with more than 90,000 projectors installed globally, over half of the world's cinemas are illuminated by Cineonic. Visit Cineonic.com and discover why theaters look to Cineonic to provide the solutions of tomorrow, today. Our guest insider today is Gretchen McCourt. And Gretchen, the question for you at this point is, what movies have you seen this year that you wish you could have seen in a movie theater? Oh, there's a few of those. Um, I wish I could have seen The Trial of the Chicago 7 in movie theaters. That comes to mind first. I, I love Aaron Sorkin, love the movie. 
loved all the performances. And I think about it would have been a deeper, more meaningful experience if I would have seen it in a movie theater. I I know that. I would have thought about it more. Do you know, can you feel when a movie's going to, you have an instinct that this movie's going to be big? I, I love the the tracking. They're saying Godzilla versus Kong. The kids are going to want to see this as an exhibitor. Do you get a sense of these things? Absolutely. And it's uh, I always say, well, you know, being a good film buyer, you have to you 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 know you can't go on what you like. Um, <laughs> you have to know what the public is, what the public's going to like. But it is, yeah, you can you can get a sense of something special. And oh my gosh, I could spend I could spend an hour telling stories of of different films and you know, that stayed with you. I I can still picture myself sitting in a screening room at Fox watching 12 Years a Slave. And and that, you know, that feeling will never leave me of how I how I felt watching the movie, how I felt after the movie. Um, you know, there's just films like that. I remember Juno and saying this film is something special and it's going to it's going to be a hit. So when you walk out that door with that feeling, you say, I want this in my theaters. I want to make sure that there are plenty of screens. Right. This deserves to be seen. And I know my patrons are going to want to see it. Absolutely. This. And you want to, you know, you want it to be seen in, you know, in the right environment. You want it to be seen. And, you know, we used to say we want it to, we want the Arclight member to have the Arclight experience for this film. And you want, you know, you want that the best sight and sound you want the the least distractions and you want them to be able to enjoy that film. Uh, my one of my favorite favorite barometers that that we used at Arclight and that I I still think about is we wanted the film to be seen as the filmmaker intended. And you know, we know what was put into those projects and what was put into that film and to have the public experience that the way the filmmaker intended is everything. Well, we women, I've talked about this, but I'll bring you in. I am struck because Advanced Imaging Society, we're working with people who are actually making the movies. They're not out front. They're they're behind the scenes. Is that Spielberg wants to see in a theater environment every single thing with the lights down, right? right? Uh, James Cameron, very involved. Ang Lee goes into the theater the night before. These directors very much care that the audiences see it. And Wim, I'll bring you in on this, but the two of you, Wim is the tech side, audio visual, you know, laser projection, and then the exhibitor, how this is projected and how this is done is key to, to meeting the director's intent. Oh, absolutely. I think that the directors have, they, they are keen on technology, by the way, because they want to try new things. They want to bring their story to life in the way they'd intended it. And the more that the technology delivery system, which is the audio system, the visual system, and everything around it in the theater can resemble that, the better the experience will be, right? And so so in the end, you, you want to bring the optimal experience there. And these days, we can make it lighter. Uh, with laser, we can, you know, make the colors more vivid. Uh, we can, in 3D, you know, go up to 9, 12, whatever foot numbers you want to go. So we have opportunities to bring it up a notch, right, compared to where we were probably 10 years ago when we started with digital in the beginning. And I think that that is immersive sound, a similar thing, right? Today with immersive sound, you really bring it up a notch. And so those are the things which we, the passion, I think, we share on the technology side and, and the directors. And, and that's what we, we want to together want to make sure comes out when they watch it in a theater. 
Well, when you you use the term, it's your mantra. I want to have a wow experience, right? I want to be, I want to walk out and say wow, and that's a pretty high bar to get. But if you consider everything from reserving the ticket to the parking lot to the concession stand to the theater to the projection to the sound, and walking out in a pleasant and safe way, it is an emotional experience, isn't it? True, true. But I, I would, I think, as an industry, and I see myself as as hundred percent part of the industry. You know, delivering technology services to the industry is the fact that if we don't live it up to that, if we don't raise the bar to get wow in each of our theaters we have in the world, we're going to lose our audience, right? So I think there's two sides. I think that the wow effect is really making a difference, I believe, but it also is our responsibility to get to the wow because people want to experience the big screen. People want to be immersed in getting that storytelling uh, adventure, I would call it, you know, happening. But but we have to make it happen too as an industry. And, and after COVID, I think we've got the the reopening of the cinemas will be an opportunity for us to, to do that, right? It's in the news right now. So I want to ask you about the release windows. There's a great deal of back and forth in the press between the studios and exhibitors about how long movies can remain in theaters exclusively before they're allowed to appear on streaming services and other platforms. How do you think the industry resolves this? I think it's a very useful conversation. And, and again, I, I just, I don't think it's a, a one size fits all. There's definitely going to be a consumer that would wait and watch it at home at a lower price. Of course, there's a, you know, there's price sensitive consumers, but, you know, where we need to look is what's the right, right price point for the movie theaters? What's the right price point for streaming? And then making things available for everyone because it's not just it's not just a cost exercise for the consumer. It's what we were talking about. There's different experiences, there are different films, there's different, you know, going, you know, with your family, going with your friends, going on a date, going with your spouse, you know, all of those different experiences are gonna want a different venue. So I I think it's very important conversation. And I understand, obviously, the economics of, of the theatrical window and the streaming window, but I don't, I hope, my hope is there's never, there's never not a theatrical, you know, window at the beginning of, of a release. Yeah, the, the theatrical window, it's an important discussion for the industry, right? So uh, on the other hand, I think that it's been probably too long that it's been off limits of being a dynamic discussion and and. But I, the fact that the window is dependent on content, I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, the fact that uh, people can watch it within a theater, but also can watch it on another platform also does a lot of sense. So I think, to be honest, that the audience is going to make their decision on this. And of course, we need windows to support the industry. It is vital in that sense. At the same token, it needs to be realistic. And calling it dynamic and being able to be flexible on it, I think is going to help on both ends of it. But, but I believe that in the end, the, the moviegoer will decide where he's going to see his content and where he, if he want to see it in the theater or see it differently. And I think we should not forget that point because I believe the, the windows there are to facilitate people to come to the theaters and to be able to consume the digital content. And, and let us make sure that that stays the priority in the discussion. Yeah, so the notion that the $50 million romantic comedy or that anything other than an epic tentpole blockbuster, you know, there's that kind of stream will be on streaming and, and, and you really take exception to that point of view. Absolutely. I just think that it's different for every person and we should offer 
again, we should offer the we called it we should offer the ArcLight experience for for all different types of film, but but they, we should offer the theatrical experience for all different types of film because there are different you know people wanting different things and to see those in a theatrical experience. So let's talk about your other uh, initiative and the power of your time that you give so much to, and that's women in entertainment. When you delivered your TED Talk in 2016, you spoke about your concerns for your sons getting into college, and you worried about your daughter, when she got out of college, finding a career. Yep. One of the statistics that is so interesting, and it's exactly what fed that comment I made um, in the TED Talk of, Girls are, it's a crazy number, 90% of, of high school student body presidents are, are girls. And girls are, are you know, 55% of, of students in college right now are girls. And that's why I said, I, you know, my three sons getting in college and going through. And then yet the girls aren't getting jobs. It seems to me that there are well-intentioned people in our industry who do not know what to do. People have said, the most awful things about Hollywood. I have found it to be a fantastically accepting and nourishing environment. But what do good intention people need to do? I think um, simple. The simple, you know, statement is ask for help. I think one of the most frustrating things we hear at our at Women in Entertainment, our summits and different things, is oh, I tried. Oh, I tried. It is there's so many organizations out there that ask for help. Um, women in, you know, women in technology, women in animation, there's just, there's uh, women in entertainment. I mean, we are Rolodex of, of names and, and help, uh, you know, we've all read or heard in the last few weeks, what Ava DuVernay is doing at Array, um, with creating those lists of a lot of below the line roles that are, you know, people for hire. There's so many organizations out there that can help create that room. And, you know, it starts with opportunity um, and it starts with, you know, we, we, we talk about all the time. I mean, diversity, diversity is a competitive advantage. Um, you know, the more diverse the executive teams are, the more diverse the writing rooms become, the more diverse the behind the scenes teams become. And that all translates to a wider audience. Well, you seem to be saying even small steps count. The key is to take steps. Absolutely. Just keep pushing forward, making changes. And, it, it, you know, what's so interesting is supportive men and men who who um, fight for this cause right alongside women are vital, vital, vital. And the more men we have at Women in Entertainment Functions, the more men we have on panels, they talk about uh, you know diverse crews and diverse writing rooms and diverse executive teams how much more pleasant the experience is how much more positive it is they save money because it's more efficient and then it builds their role you know their rolodex like we said now you know a guy that's hired to be an you know an ad on the next project he's like no i worked with this woman and this woman and this, you know these people and this people and and start building those teams and it just you know and then it, you know then we start seeing real change when you started women women in entertainment 5 years ago this discussion was seen as vital important people were uh, committed to it this year, it's the one or two most important aspects that the industry's got to get it right. 
and you look at the reaction to the Golden Globes and some of these other controversies where you just say, I don't see how anyone survives if they do not put diversity and inclusion front and center in what they're talking about. Someone said that women in entertainment is a place of action, not accolades. Absolutely. We don't give any awards. We don't, uh, we don't, you know, that's not how we get our brands and our sponsorship is because we're giving someone an award. It's all through action. Our, you know, our mantra is we want to give tools for your tool belt. And when you said, talk about generous, talk about people who are willing to, you know, to give their time, we have, you know, we have studio executives that will come in for workshops on pitching and they'll say, okay, turn off your cell phones, turn, you know, this is a safe space. We're going to, you know, we're going to give you the nuts and bolts of what, how to pitch, what to do, how to build teams. Um, you know, it's a, it's just such a generous, wonderful community who's willing to give back. But that's, that's really what we want to do is we want everyone to walk away from our summits, from our workshops, from our dinners, all the different things we do and say, I learned something that I can put into real, I can make a real change in myself or my career with what I learned today. You're now working on a project called Pre-Show. It combines new technology with a fan base. Tell us about what you're working on. So um, I'm working on Pre-Show with Stacey Spikes, who Stacey was the original uh, patent holder and CEO of MoviePass, which you mentioned earlier. Exited MoviePass in 2017, I believe. And we started working on Pre-Show a couple of years ago. And what we are, it's, it's, um, the technology is, it's an attention-based commodity. So you are, the consumer is, is actually going to get um, paid for, for their attention. And you watch a pre-show, which is branded content from, um, from brands. And at the end of watching that branded content, you earn something. You earn a movie ticket, you earn an Uber ride, you earn gaming, you know, points to to use on your PlayStation or your Nintendo. It is um, the first time that consumers are really being paid for their attention. Um, We, you will see a launch. We're going to, you'll see our press releases coming out next month in April. We finished our seed round um, through pandemic. Um, and we're launching with our beta testing in June with gaming and, um, and movie going, um, streaming, but anything that's that micro purchase purchase of, um, about $30 or less. So we're looking at media, which would be movie tickets, streaming, gaming, mobility, you know, lift rides, Uber rides, and then meals. So whether it's Grubhub, Uber Eats, or, you know, fast casual type of dining, um, you'll be able to watch your pre-show and translate that into a purchase. Well, if there were an Oscar for best performance by an industry champion for quality and for women, the card in the envelope would have your name on it. So thank you so much. Thank you guys. This has been pure joy. And thank you, Wim, very much for staying up for us. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, you, Gretchen. It was great. Thank you. It was good to see you guys. Our quote of the day comes from James Wood. He is the general manager of the El Capitan Theater, Disney's owned and operated cinema in the heart of Hollywood. The LA Times asked him to describe his customers' moods as they returned. He said, it's joy 
pure joy. That is what has come back this week. You just step into a movie house and whatever problems are going on in your life, they just melt away. Join us April 13th when our insider will be Hanno Bossi of Microsoft. Until then, we'll see you at the movies. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Piltzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.